0: Welcome to Process Party. Uh, Welcome to Process Party, the comic book people type thing podcast, (laughs) where comic book type people... Talk about things and podcasts.
1: And comics. And Talk, comics. Yes. It's mostly talking about comics.
0: Oh. Yeah, yes. With people I guess involved in right. comics. You are. I guess you're right. I am. It's correct. <laughs> you are Zach. <laughs> Zach oh, Soto. Yes. I am also. I am Zach Soto. <laughs> and I am one of your co hosts. And my other co host
1: is Me, Mike Dawson. Welcome to Yay. Process Party. It's I
0: great. like that you couldn't you couldn't actually like fully go into the like obstinate you, you had to actually announce who you are i am um. <laughs> hey, <I'm> mike
1: dawson <laughs> I want that to be known welcome <laughs> to the show everybody follow us on twitter and follow us on itunes write us a review on itunes and we will say yes. your name out we have a new review zach did you know oh i did not know that do you want me to tell you what it says yes i'd love for you to tell me what it says uh we have a new review from listener skrillex fan and, and Skrillex co- Fan declares us as good as Inksteads. Oh, well, that's pretty good kind of you. Yeah, we're, we're 15 episodes in. We're catching up.
0: Yeah, yep. Yes. we only have 7,000 to go. Yeah, but um, in
1: quality, we've, we're catching up. <laughs> Inksteads is feeling the heat. We're right on your tails. so, you know, oh. let's get this. Uh, Wait,
0: that is not what Skrillex Fan's review says.
1: Right at the top says, as good as Inksteads. Five oh, stars. He- Okay, but you, you you missed the actual uh,
0: – the other part of his review.
1: Oh, it says our fingers are on the throbbing pulse of comics um, as we, await, as the we dark...
0: all await the dark era of
1: Trump. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. See, to me, that's actually the funnier um... – part of the the review because we're always griping about how
1: that's true this much is a, anxiety we have this is uh this is the comics podcast where it's a a group for us to talk about our, our concerns and emotions and you know in the upcoming bad era the era upcoming, of
0: bad feelings we're in the pre-apocalypse and we're <laughs> Oh man, I don't know. I think we should rib cut this whole
1: part. Are you guys attending any, uh, any, um, marches on Saturday?
0: Um, you know, I am not. I actually have to work.
1: Oh, so. You are okay with our illegitimate president is what you're yes, saying. Yes, that means that I am giving a big <laughs> thumbs up the old orange Cheeto man. I will um, not be either attending a, uh, a march. My wife may, may be taking my daughter to one, which I'm all in favor of, um, I will be at the American Library Association Festival in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh. Uh, well, c-
0: celebrating literacy is almost like uh, attending a march against that's true. Trump. So. It kind
1: of is. A, it's kind of like I'm making a, a statement against no nothingism. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. In if I my way, just, right? Like, I'm kind of a hero, right? Like, like I'm sort of a hero in this. Don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that so
0: two too, uh, anxious... Liberals doing nothing on Saturday, that sounds really good,
1: well, we got four long years ahead of us, so we'll, we'll yes. all do our part. Um, yes. do you have any oh, comics news?
0: Um, I don't have any comics news, obviously um, uh, listeners may or may not have caught that we slipped in an extra episode this week yeah we we, we were we were recording what we initially thought was going to be the intro to this episode. And uh, and so it ran really long and really did not fit with the tone of what you know the the main conversation of the episode was. So so there's a whole 14.5 episode that's all us talking about our teenage uh, influential comics uh, along with a meme that was going around about influential teen albums.
1: It was important also that we got that up before that meme completely petered out so uh, yeah i mean i couldn't wait on that i couldn't put that up three weeks from now yeah i think i think
0: I think that was like we didn't even we were sort of like well we got this thing let's just run it (laughs) now you know spend an
1: hour yeah we (laughs) did spend a whole hour
0: being completely self-indulgent it was so but i you know actually it's funny because i think you know once you have a, a bonus episode you know now you're that's a real you guys are really podcasting yeah. Now that's, that's what I call podcasting.
1: I believe you're right. This is feels legit now. Uh, <laughs> we do have an interview this episode uh, with Leela Corbin. Um, yes. So that's about to come up. Leela is uh, her most recent book was published by Retrofit, a collection of short stories called We All Wish Her Deadly Force. And prior to that, she had a graphic novel, which I can't pronounce. She says it a million times in the interview. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Inter- I don't know about a
0: million, but I mean, you know. At least three.
1: Three. Okay, enough that I <laughs> should have. Lunterzaken, it's... I think. is. The, yeah, I think that's right. The... Yeah. But I always sort of um, read it differently in my head. Like I want to think yeah. of it. I always think of it as, anyway, yes. Yeah, so yeah, it does, doesn't matter.
0: This is the quality that you guys have come to ex- expect. Uh... <laughs> it was uh, published
1: by Shaken, uh which is part of Random House. And she's working on a new book for that same imprint. So we talk a lot about that. Which I'm very yes. interested in, because as we sort of get to, I've never had that situation where you've yes. sold a book that you haven't written, and you get a deadline, and you, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Just roll with, <laughs> do it.
0: How does that work? Yeah, yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and I mean, and and is a really interesting cartoonist, and it's uh, she's uh, very self possessed. Uh, artist and it's always fun to hear her talk about her creative process, and we get into that a lot, and um, and it's a fun talk. So so check it out.
1: Well, let's get to it. You're listening to Study Group Radio. Welcome to the party floor. <laughs> <laughs> very glad to have you joining us here via satellite uh Leela corman Let's corman how ahead. you
2: doing hi guys
0: <laughs> whoa this doesn't sound awkward at all we just spent ten
2: minutes. <laughs> this is totally not awkward we all know each other already
1: yeah we talk like every day online and
2: we totally yeah. do
0: well now the <laughs> listeners
1: are here watching us at the party so we have to put on yeah. a show
0: it's like we, we started, it, so to con- continue the party metaphor as we always do, this is, we were having a really interesting, intimate conversation, and all of a sudden, everyone around us, we realized they were all listening to us, and then we got awkward. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, cartoonists, were the best at partying. We're real party animals. Do you, think so? do you think so? No. <laughs> Come on, man. You're oh, oh, I
1: thought you meant like we're drunks.
0: Yeah, no.
2: <laughs> no, what I was actually talking about is how much cartoonists really love being around other people in large groups. Oh,
1: I Lots think so. Yeah. yeah.
2: We just love it so much.
1: Well, we have something uh, <laughs> to get the party going. We call it Breaking the Ice. Breaking the Ice! And so we have a little question. <laughs> it's here to get... You know, and uh, so Leela, I was reading your comic <laughs> and, and I noticed that uh, your husband Tom does not like gefilte fish.
2: Um, he does not. Do you, would you like to know why? Why? Because there's absolutely nobody who likes gefilte fish except for other Ashkenazi Jews.
1: Do you like it? Do you like it?
2: Yeah. Hell yeah. I can't curse on this podcast, right?
1: I, th- yeah, I think you can. I
0: think it's okay.
2: I fucking love it. It's as, great. It's...
0: As some sort of, you know, declassé, classe. Oh. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, well, too late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, my, my secret's out. I'm, I'm feral. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, everybody from my ethnic background loves it. I've never met somebody from my background who doesn't love it. And I've never met anyone from another background who likes it at all, except Jason Little.
1: Jason Little likes it. He likes to get filter fish.
2: He does. You can ask him. <laughs> I? Look, he's probably going to be like, no, God. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> Well,
1: that is like that cold jelly aspect of it. Have you ever had it, Zach? Uh, no, I. You don't I... have to eat
2: it in the jelly. You can get... Why are we talking
1: about this? <laughs> We're breaking <laughs> I the eggs. take
2: that for lunch today.
1: Oh, really? I do like it. It
2: doesn't have to be in jelly.
1: I do okay. like it. But I like to act like I like it more than I do for my mother-in-law's sake like uh it comes out at our dinners and I say ooh the gefilte fish I like it and you know and I do like it <laughs> <laughs> but I don't love it I like the I like the uh chopped liver um that my father-in-law Oh
2: makes. you and Tom oh god gross sorry right. pardon me <laughs> I like So you
1: liver. like gefilte Chop fish <laughs> but not chopped no.
2: liver no. I hate chopped liver
0: Yeah I've never I hate had all liver either, so Liver is not, it's like grainy. I can't get into the graininess of it.
1: Well, it is disgusting. But, <laughs> but when you make it into that pate with some eggs, it's actually okay. But, oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, liver, when I was a child, my mother would like, like fry liver, I guess. And it was, yeah, it was just, that was a sit at my, sit at the table crying kind of meal. Um, oh, oh, so sad. <laughs> Well, I grew up in a household where you actually had to finish your your food before you could leave the table, which is not the household that I'm running here. Um, Right. But but as a child, I had to sit there and finish what I was given.
0: Um, One time, I actually i uh, i my dad was the same way, and he he made some crepes with like spinach and I think ricotta cheese or something that he thought I would love because I loved spinach or whatever. And I was I was being you know. Or something. So I was like, no, you know, I don't. Yeah, whatever, yuck. And then he made me sit there and eat the eat the stuff, right? So I'm like, nope, don't want to eat it. Not going to eat it. And then he like leaves the room. He's like, well, you're going to have to sit there until you eat the, eat the whole thing. So I'm so smart that as soon as he leaves the room, I throw the crepes in the trash and walk out. I'm like, hey, I ate all the crepes. <laughs> and uh yeah so so you know my dad is you know 30 something at that time or 40 at that time and he was not dumber than a 5 year old so it's he
1: like, he knew that that's maybe <laughs> where it went yeah so he was like hey well
0: cool uh come hold on you know like let's check it out and so he brought me back to the trash can and saw the crepe sitting in the top of the on top of a bunch of actual garbage <laughs> And scooped them out of the trash and made me eat them.
2: Okay. <laughs> That's cruel.
0: <laughs> well, you know, cool. I, I didn't do that again.
1: <laughs> I would never do that to my, my child, but, <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know. I don't yeah. think
1: that you were, it wasn't that way for you, Lila?
2: Um, no. No. Cruelty expressed itself in a different area of family life than food.
1: Oh, okay. Verbally.
2: <laughs> we won't get into that. Yeah. But no, no.
1: Uh, well, we're... we're. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Nothing. Go ahead.
1: Okay. I was going to say that we're going to talk mostly about your book, We All Wish for Deadly Force, recently published by Retrofit. Okay. Um, so do you want to tell us, uh, how did the book sort of come together? Because I know a lot of it's short stories that you've written, like, for different places. Um did you also see it as a collection or are you just sort of working through stuff?
2: Um, I, I had all these stories. At a certain point, I just realized this should be in a collection. And uh, I, you know, I, I pitched it to Retrofit because I know that book publishers never want to publish short story collections. And that includes prose, not just comics. Um, so, I, you know, I pitched it to my editor at Shock and just for a first refusal. But I knew she was going to say no. And I asked Box and he was into it. At that point, I had like three years worth of work, almost everything that was in the book. So it just seemed to make sense to put it all together. And I figured it would have a different audience than, uh, than the places that those stories had originally appeared.
1: What do you mean? like? Uh... You know, not
2: everybody reads, well, not everybody reads tablet, you know, or one of the real books or any, like Nautilus, places where, where the stories originally ran. So I figured that that was a good way to get it in front of more people.
1: How did you know like, when the, book was, the collection was done?
2: Uh, well, basically, we just set a kind of a general, not exactly a hard pub date, but just kind of a, a ballpark. And I was also getting to a natural point where I wanted to stop pitching short stories and, and start working on my longer project again. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. so I was getting kind of burnt out on, on short pieces.
0: Well, so so you know, the, what? what is it like, like go, changing gears from, you know, the book that we are actually going to spend a lot of time talking about, oh,
2: but God, uh, man, you, it's,
0: it's, you, you're working yeah, on a bigger project now, right?
2: I am. And shifting gears is really freaking hard. It is really hard. I spent a long time working on Ojozaki, like, like way longer than you would think. But the time that I think I spent really focused on it wasn't that long in comparison to, you know, from the very beginning of that project till the end. And in that time, I became a professional belly dancer. I had an illustration career, like a whole trajectory. I, like, for a little while was in a band. Like, oh, really? And I had a baby, you know? So, like, I was doing so many things over the course of, like, the seven or eight years between having the idea and actually delivering the book. And, and this is... I'm, I'm hoping that I'm kind of leaner and meaner now. and I'm, I'm. It's kind of constitutionally impossible for me not to do a lot of things while I'm also working on a book, but uh, I mean, that sort of only partially answers your question. In terms of actually daily work process, I'm still actually figuring it out. I, I'm kind of blundering through it because um, I'm realizing, I, I didn't anticipate this, I, is a really different thing to, to do these kind of five-page, at most, maybe um, non-fictional, sometimes autobiographical, but always nonfictional pieces that have this really um, clean kind of trajectory to them, right? Like they're not all over the place. They're, they're, they're short. They don't range too far, narratively speaking. And they have the benefit of coming from non-fictional experience this is like I'm realizing the enormity of what I took on yeah and And so so this is a
0: large a large unwieldy sort of work of fiction kind of thing
2: sprawling historically based maybe not sprawling I'm trying to make it kind of compact time wise it's just a few years but uh, you know it's not multi-generational over time but yeah I mean it's, it's about World War II and so I feel like you know this a part of me that feels like what what business do I have doing a book about this? Um the same business anybody has doing a book about anything, really, you know.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how
2: and how much am I going to get wrong? A lot probably.
0: <laughs> At least you have um, realistic goals.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I I you know, I'm in the stage right now where I'm realizing every time I sit down with my sketchbook and try to actually thumbnail something that I need to read more before I can even draw anything.
1: Yeah. Is that like what's currently happening? So like you, you finished the the collection of short stories like I guess a year or two ago, right? Um,
2: uh, the last piece that ended up in it, I finished in April.
1: Oh, so it's about, yeah. So I guess it's less than a year. Um,
2: yeah. Less than a year.
1: Okay. So then, since then, you've been entirely focused on, because I noticed you haven't done that many short stories. You put a short story up on uh, Zach's uh, website this past week, but that was an older story, right?
2: Um, That one I did last spring, and then I also did something for The Nib in October. Okay. Uh, But no, I haven't been. I've been, uh, I had some illustration work, um, some stuff that'll be, that'll come out later this year. Um, and I'm teaching at UF like I usually do in the spring, University of Florida. But, yeah, I've been trying to work on this book, and so I've just been taking notes and generating a lot of ideas and spending way too much time in the local cafe where they're really nice to me and let me sit there for like six hours. <laughs> <of stress. laughs> um,
3: it's,
2: it's a great place to work. Um, and basically what I've been doing is watching a lot of footage of, concentration camp liberations which is really uplifting like u.s army film unit footage narrated by soldiers yeah like um, okay
1: okay um i said yeah as if i've been watching like i've seen some <laughs> stuff like that
3: <laughs> oh
0: no. yeah yeah you know we,
1: we watch that <laughs> no i've seen i've seen some footage i've seen but like i don't know how much exists does a lot exist
2: i found a nine minute clip of the liberation of Buchenwald, specifically not the liberation itself, not the moments, you know, the first moments that, that allied soldiers rolled into it, but because I don't think anyone was filming that. Well,
0: isn't, is uh, it, is, it, didn't they have a, uh, they had like some, they, I've, I've read about how they had some certain, like, I don't know, five or six directors from Hollywood all going out with the troops. And there was at least one of them who was um, along for the ride on, on one of those liberations. And, taking like documentary footage, not, you know, not like making a,
2: that may be. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I've come across that in my research, but I'm not sure which camp that would have been. Right. Uh, The one that I'm looking at is uh, that was not the case. And the footage that I saw was shot um, when they, so, so the high ups in the U S army were so angry when they saw what they saw that um, I believe it was Patton, actually, General Patton, I think, um, who ordered that the residents of Weimar, the nearest town, be marched through the camp and forced to look at everything. So I, I what saw footage of that. Oh, wow. Sorry?
0: Oh, just to like examine what they sort of maybe let happen.
2: Yeah, to say this, yeah. Is, this is what you claim not to have known anything about.
3: Yeah.
0: Right.
2: This is what was happening. This is where your your husbands are working. This is this is you've lived next to this belching chimney for four years, you know. What do you what or however many years? What do you think is going on here? Um, so that's kind of that's the shape my research has been taking. And also it doesn't only take place in that context. So I, I have a lot of research I have to do and typically when I start one of these history based projects the more I read, the more I realize I don't know anything, and I realize how much more I need to read, and I just start writing these insane stacks of index cards and lists and lists and lists of details that I need to look deeper into. Is, uh, so I'm kind of just doing that right now.
1: Like, So this will be a work of fiction... And so do you want to sort of explain a little bit? So how, like, what does the concentration camps, like, specifically play into it? or
2: Uh, A little bit. I can talk about that. But what I'd rather do is just be kind of general, so I don't give anything away. Um, It's largely about women working in defense industries during the Second World War in New York City. Uh, It's also about um, the amateur female wrestling circuit. Okay. During the war years. And, Yeah. uh, Yeah. You know, I, I, I had to draw a bunch of wrestlers for that um, Mountain Goats project mountain I worked goats, on a yeah. couple of years ago. And, and, man, it was so fun. I just didn't want to stop, you know.
0: Bodies in motion. I just
2: keep... Yeah, I love drawing bodies in motion. You know that.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I love, like, gnarled, grotesque faces and, you know, cauliflower ears and people getting out their aggression, you know, all the stuff I don't do. Myself, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's the book is partially about that. You know, I, I kind of can't get away from New York in the past, um, and the 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 part that's set in Europe, I I don't want to say much more about.
3: Okay, yeah. Except that's to cool.
2: say that it's 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 sort of the it's going to present one of the main pillars of the book what I'm trying to talk about in a way that will be clearer when when you actually have it
1: so you sort of have a sense of like I, what you want to talk about like through the story?
2: Oh very much so well uh, yeah and also you know obviously when you start to work on a project things start to emerge I'm starting to see what the emerging themes are um, and it's it's interesting they're not all what I thought they would be uh, but that's, that's also how I like to work um and, you know, since the election, all I've wanted to do is is work on the, the Holocaust part, as hard as that's been. It really takes a toll. Yeah. I, I've been very, um, you know, <laughs> I've had to figure out what my self-care is, sort of. Yeah. It tends to be listening to very, very abrasive music <laughs> while I work on this, and then, like, going home and hanging out with my incredibly goofy three-year-old.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Are you? Do you feel like... Um... The like you're saying, like uh, what the part of it that has to do with the Holocaust is, is not actually the, going to be like the primary part of it. But you're saying, like, you felt more compelled post-election. Like, do you think that's part of like sort of yeah. a dealing, dealing with the election kind of thing?
2: Yeah, definitely. Because I think this election triggered whatever whatever your trauma, like your historical trauma that's in your DNA is. Uh, you got triggered by it. You know, like slavery, yeah. Jim Crow. Fear of nuclear annihilation, fascism. <laughs> I was yes, talking to a friend about things. this the other night, and she said, "And they're all right."
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right that's a that's a list of the things yeah. that are going to happen <laughs> shortly. <Yeah. laughs>
2: oh, the things that are that are worthy of being afraid of. You know, yes. I, I'm not going to say they're going to happen. You know, I think
0: we're we're all like trying. Those of us who, uh, you know, are paying attention uh, are are maybe like. Tr- like struggling with the idea of being concerned or being alarmed, but also not freaking out and losing your shit or whatever, right. you know, just, just like yeah. constantly every day. And it's hard because everything is, is, I mean, it's not even started and it's, uh, you know, I feel exhausted by it, you know, uh, which I think is part of the plan, uh, in so much yeah. as there's a plan for some, by some of these people, um, who seem incapable of making plans, uh, it's uh you know yeah it seems like like the idea is keep us tired and worn out and exhausted and
1: maybe we won't be able to fight back
0: or something like that so
2: Right yeah that makes sense
1: So in your family history I mean um one of the short stories in your book uh I'm going to try to pronounce it Yar Yarzate um, Yarzate Yeah so
2: you talk- I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right either
1: <laughs> Uh you, uh, so you, you have family history, like, having to do with World War II and the Holocaust specifically, like, very direct, right?
2: Yeah, my, my mother's side of the family, were all Holocaust survivors. And Jarzeit is partially a very, very brief uh, touching down on my grandfather's story. Kind of most of what I know about him, honestly, because he didn't talk a lot. Oh, okay. great. But, but so, so anyone in my family who went into a concentration camp, as far as I know, didn't come out. So those weren't the stories I grew up with. I grew up with the stories of the people who uh, who went into hiding. Right. And they didn't talk very much. And what they said was so awful that I didn't press them sometimes, like especially my grandmother. But my grandfather sometimes would start talking. Like, you know, if he was in the right mood and you knew to, to shut up and listen, he 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 might say some things, you know?
1: I mean, did you spend a lot of time around your grandparents, sort of? In, yeah, in your that year?
2: that particular set of grandparents lived in New York City, um, in roughly the same part of town we did.
1: So, like, so you would sort of like talk about it with them a little bit.
2: Well, only when I got older, when okay. I got old enough to ask, I, I was lucky that they lived until I, you know, into my adulthood. They was I, I think I like, think you're not as age. interested
0: in that stuff. You're not as interested in that stuff as a you know teen or something maybe, but.
2: No, I mean, you're sort of like, you know, it's there, you know, but you just don't know how to ask. You don't know how to talk to, you certainly don't know how to talk to your grandparents as anything other than their grandchild.
3: Right, that's true.
2: (laughs) Very, very um, specific relationship until you get older, And, and then you can actually start to approach them as an adult. And I didn't get that chance with my father's parents who were both born in America, but you know, would have had really interesting stuff to tell me if I had only not been too dumb to ask. <laughs> but, if you hadn't
1: just been nine, but, uh, nine years old, <laughs> seventeen,
2: you know, like more interested in hanging out with my friends and going to punk shows and being a dumbass, you know. Okay. But but by the time you know my grandparents were actually old and I knew they were on their way out, I knew I knew to go over there and like sit with my grandfather and prompt him a little but also know when to hang back and let him just get comfortable. And then you could like, you could get some stories out of him.
1: I mean, that is interesting. You're sort of saying about like how you sort of feel like your fears of what's happening in the present sort of are stuff. That's always been with you. And, um, I mean, I think, yeah, like, and that's, um, I mean, that's part of being Jewish in America too, I think, right. Like, I was going to say, like, I think that like, it's like, um, I think you have a much more direct re- relationship to the Holocaust than my wife does. But I, it just seems like um, this fear of like that sort of change happening in society is like I, I feel like my whole my wife's whole side of the family is feeling it, too. Um,
2: you know. I was pretty damn shocked at how fast that feeling rose up after the election, because in the past, I've kind of made fun of my fellow Jews. Like, come on, guys, you know, this is America. It, it, we're, we're pretty safe here, like we're as safe as we're going to get. In this place. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, it's it's also it's surprising how fast it's it seems like, oh, all these ideas are plausible, you know. um, Right. That they that that things could go horribly wrong here. Um, Fascism could could rear its ugly head. (laughs) Yeah.
2: It's important to remember that no no place is exempt from horrible things humans do to each other and you know it's not like America ever was so you know
3: right
0: sort
2: of welcome welcome to the real america white people yeah. right yeah
0: yeah yeah it was it was built on horrible things and now it's circling back around of course
2: yeah a, a lot of us were on surprised, it never so. never stopped yeah yeah but. i think i i'm not so much su- somebody once many years ago in a different context said, I'm shocked, but I'm not surprised. And I think that's how I feel now. Yeah. Because it was obvious as soon as Obama became president, that there was a certain segment of the population who just could not deal with having a black man in the white house. Yeah. And then it was also equally obvious that there was another segment of the population that was absolutely sure this meant that there was no racism in the country anymore. (laughs) And I was like, At the time, like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> you know, the power structure is still completely white. So it until the power structure changes completely, yeah, you're not going to, there's not going to be the kind of change that you think there is now. <laughs> like, yeah. So, I mean, we've been watching the entire country go completely crazy for the last eight years. Why would it suddenly... I don't know. Why wouldn't it just continue to get crazier, I guess.
1: Right. Which seems to be (laughs) what we've chosen. (laughs) Well, uh, Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't want to even say much more than that because then I'd just be really, you know, speaking above my pay grade, but that's, that's what I've observed just as a, as your regular MOOC in America.
1: So the book that you're working on, like, so it's not just about, um, That like so you're saying it's about other stuff, right? Like, um... yeah.
2: Well, it's a lot of it takes place in, like I said, in Brooklyn uh, among women in a time when most of the men were gone. uh, You know, the younger able-bodied men weren't there, and the women were working in factories and building bombers and ships and munitions. And I find that period really interesting. I think we all feel really compelled by World War II, and maybe as an American um we feel like that was the last quote good war right like we can feel morally good about world war 2 yeah and and people don't look too closely a lot of the time at the complexities of world war 2 but it's true that you know i mean ultimately we were fighting fascism right i'm not going i'm not going to get too idealistic about it because that is sort of the opposite of my entire ethos as a as a storyteller my my M.O. is to to pry that stuff apart and, and look at what actual human experiences were like in, in different time periods. Okay, yeah. But, you know, for all, for all whatever other corrupt things or, or morally compromised things might have happened in that time period, there was actually a real enemy that needed to be fought. And I don't know if that's – I can't say that's been the case in my lifetime, you know.
1: Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think that because um, we're all roughly about the same age, right? Um, we yeah. all sort of, you know, came up in a period where it seemed like that was all in the past. <laughs> like, a, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. World War II did sort of become like this uh, Hollywood sort of thing of, you know, we were good then and this is the great thing we did and we revisit it many times. Um, from from that point, we relive
0: it like to, to celebrate it, to celebrate the overcoming of the horribleness or whatever.
2: Yeah, right. like I mean, I never took the Hollywood part of the narrative, but but for sure that. Yeah, I'm aware of it. And, and also like the genuine feeling like well, humanity really, you know, narrowly escaped something even worse than, than what happened, you know. Yeah. Uh, and for a lot of people, they didn't. So, and, and I'm not just talking about the warriors. I'm talking about what happened afterwards. If you lived in the Soviet Union, you had to endure under Stalin. Well, my grandfather was fond of saying it was worse than Hitler. And for a guy whose entire family was murdered by Nazis, that's a pretty big <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> so my grandfather escaped into Ukraine in 1939 and had the opportunity to observe Stalinism up close. And he wasn't <laughs> particularly happy about it. And this is why he was desperate to get out of there. Uh, he, he had seen what life was like, and he wanted to know part of it there. Yeah. So you know the narrative. It's funny when I talk to people who are more American than me, like more American. I mean, who's more American than me? Right? I'm. I'm, I'm as American <laughs> as anybody else. But but when I talk to people who don't come from my background and who maybe come from a different region, like now I live in the South, and I talk to people who are raised here, and they get this completely different. You know, they get an informal narrative about World War II and especially about the Holocaust. Of course, there's a lot more to World War II than the Holocaust, too. Um, but that just happens to be my, my sort of piece of history to carry. And this is another thing that I've been feeling since the election. I've been feeling like, OK, well, so after the triggering feelings kind of subsided, I started to think about the weight of, of personal and, and familial and, and genetic history. And I started thinking, you know, I feel like we kind of all are having to carry a little piece of the weight of our family's history, again, whatever it is, you know, mine might be different from yours, but we're all carrying a piece of it. And, and I feel like it's, it's, it's good, at least to have that ability as an artist and a storyteller to try and, and shoulder my little corner of that, if that makes sense.
1: Was that, so you that something You are something you feeling more recently, or is because I sort of see some of that in like yeah. the comics? Yeah. Also in the 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 Deadly Force collection, this uh, I feel like a little bit of connecting to like the pain of the past. past. Um,
2: oh, very much so. But now I feel like it it has more to do with a larger project of humanity. Like we all like have the, to pick this up a about little piece your of the history. burden.
0: That your Deadly because Force is more like exploring your family trauma and history, and then the, now you're sort of turning it outwards. Is that correct? Yeah,
2: now I'm really feeling like like there is this very grave trauma on the collective level for humanity in all over the world in so many different ways. And if you have the ability to examine it and shed some light on it, that might help. Yeah. Like whatever tiny little light you can shine on it, do it.
1: Is that like sort of a way that Does you that makes sense? Yeah, like because um, uh, there's a, the last story in the book of the collection. It's the Book of the Dead. Um, you sort of are tossing around this idea of like what your the value of like making art is, like in terms of like the great you know the, the things that you're trying to sort of wrestle with. Um, and you sort of mentioned something uh, at the big the top of the show. The same sort of sentiment about like you know being an artist. Um, like what, like, do you sort of struggle with that? Do you, and do you sort of come down on like it is, like that is what?
2: I mean, it's more like I sort of poke fun at myself, like, you know, your grandfather worked seven days a week till he retired. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? I'm sure you guys can relate to this. Like, I I, I never complain about my job, and I never um, make a big deal, like, I never get angsty about how hard it is to do what I'm doing, because it's not. This is not Doctors Without Borders.
0: No, I mean I, I I get angsty about my day job and it you know and then I I smack myself around because it's like it's fine you know like what you know what do you 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 wish you had all the time in the world to work on art come on you know that's, that's
2: well it's, it's okay like, to get angsty about your day job because it's annoying like if you got to blow off steam about something that's irritating you if you yeah. don't do it it's kind of like when you hold back a sneeze and you get a nosebleed you know
1: yeah. I actually do feel that uh, my struggles with how many books my I can sell <laughs> is the same as Doctors Without Borders. Uh. <laughs> it's exactly the same. You know, you're right, Mike. <laughs> we all have our things to carry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. <laughs> um, no, I do agree with you. I often, I'm, yeah, I feel very, you know, there's, can't really complain.
2: Um I mean we're lucky. We're lucky.
1: So far. sorry. I can't. I can't help it. So you pitched okay. the, you pitched and sold the book to, to Shocken, right? And they they published uh, Yeah. And so but it sounds like you're like you sort of were at a certain stage of it, like you're not that far along, right? Um,
2: well, you know, for Unjusaken I had to give them twenty pages of finished proposal art. And none of that stuff made it into the book and it doesn't look great. And it's not the way the book ultimately ended up looking and the way the characters and ultimately ended up behaving. But in this case, I actually went to my agent and I said, look, you know, I'm a known quantity to them at this point. I really don't want to do 20 pages of, of work on spec. I just can't handle that anymore. at this point in my career. Yeah. So can I just give you a proposal and to pass on to them and with, with the, the understanding that they know me and they know my work. And while we're at it, just, you know, I'll send them what I've been doing lately because that's what the book is going to look like.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask about, yeah. Like, so, and it's going to be more like the style in which you've been making comics more recently because it, it yes. is different than yeah, the, like the painting and stuff Are you painting the book.
2: Yeah. It, the whole book is going to be as far as I'm planning it right now. And you know, that's subject to change, but as far as I know right now, it's going to be, I think the thing it's going to end up looking the most like would be the Book of the Dead or the piece that ran in the nib um, last fall.
1: Which one was that?
2: Uh, Life is an ambush is the title of it. Okay,
1: Book of the Dead. I mean, I think I love the 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 way the water, your watercolors have been coming out lately. Like, um, yeah, thank you, yeah, thank you. Like, I
0: yeah, I, so I actually also really love the 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 use of colored pencil. I guess it is, or is it? I'm not sure. In, yeah, in, I in some of the yeah. yeah, I was
2: experimenting with colored pencil.
0: Yeah, a couple I, of I years ago. How crunchy it is too, but I mean I love. The yeah, I like that
2: too. I like working with colored pencils so much, but I um I don't really enjoy working with ink and in a brush right now. It's mm-hmm. crazy as that because that used to be just my favorite thing in the world, but uh, there's something that happens when I'm working with watercolors that I, I really value. So I just want to keep working that way. And probably what's going to happen is the next book, like whatever, five years from now, I'm going to be like, "Oh my god, I'm falling back in love with ink and a brush." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like well, I stopped listening to rock and roll for like six years or more, and then I came back to it with a vengeance in this past year. And I was like, "What the fuck? Like, this is my life." You know?
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> where
2: where have you where have you been for the last you know almost decade records?
0: Well, because I, I actually, I mean, for most of your career, I would say most people probably associated you with a very inky kind of black and white, almost not even, you know, you've like when, even when you started doing gray washes, it was like, Oh, okay. She's, she's branching out. But like for a long time, it was sort of more stark, uh, you know, black and white brush, brush, brush.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true. But
0: Yeah. You've really been pushing it
2: (laughs) for the 12 people that have been reading my comics all along. And that's probably flattering myself, but but yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that was my style for a really long time, and I worked really hard on it.
1: yeah so but you've not like started like on like the actual look of the final pages because it sounds like you're very much still in the sort of generating no. story like, I'm
2: thumbnailing so does... where I can, and yeah, so go ahead, sorry.
1: I guess I was going to kind of just start ask like how does it work with a publisher like that because that's a it's a division of pantheon, right uh,
2: Yes.
1: So, like, how does it well, work? Like, do you get, like, a I think
2: date? It's, you know, they're so, like, they're all part of Random House. Random House Bertelsmann. But then, like, I think Shocken and Pantheon, I don't think one is an imprint of the other. I think they're both imprints of Random House, Knopf, Doubleday, whatever. But, but I think they work in tandem. Okay. And Yeah, I, you know what? I can't keep it straight. I could <laughs> um, well, so but how but they it... give me. Yeah. They gave me a deadline, um, and I think that you know I'm going to try and meet it. But as with everything, you know how those things go. Well,
1: I've never yeah. had that. Depends like what a, it is. If
2: it's
1: yeah, they're... go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, sort of like.
2: Well, do... if I'm working, if I'm working for an illustration client, the deadline's the deadline. Um, and that's true with uh, short-term comics projects. Like if I'm doing a comic for the nib or for tablet, the deadline is the deadline.
3: Yeah.
2: We we set it and, and we hit it. But with a book, my experience, and, and that also includes watching other people, is that you sort of adjust it as you go if you have to, you know, especially if you're on, I mean, you should be on friendly terms with your editor and your publisher. They'll understand, you know.
3: But my goal
2: with this project is to take less time with it. Like, spend all my time on it instead of doing a million other things, basically. (laughs) Like learning an entire new art form and becoming a professional at it while I'm also (laughs) working on the book. Those are good
3: things.
1: (laughs) Focus, focus, right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've never had the experience of, like, a deadline with a book. I've had it, like, with short things, and I find that's actually good for short things because it, uh, sometimes a, a deadline is kind of good for like uh, actually, sort of creatively, it's good. I, I, yes, very I think very it kind of like a tr- you know, it's like get you to like to the end point like in a, in a good like efficient way. Um, do you did you find that I mean, this is your second. I mean, people can only write so many books in their lives, so it's not like you've had a million experiences like sort of writing a full length book. Um, but this is your second go round. Do you think that it will be the same type of thing? Like, where a deadline is kind of a good thing to have in mind.
2: Um, you know, with a book, I think it's completely different. It still feels nebulous.
1: Yeah. I oh, um, you saying right now it does? Because
2: it's not a small project. Yeah. And I cannot compare it to the last one because the last one was, you know, everything that happened in my life was complete anomaly. So, uh, this is, this is different, you know, but what I'm hoping I, I'm trying to set time goals in terms of like, I spent, um, obviously you research the whole time, you, you, kind of always have to have one hand on that but i want to try and get as much of my reading done as possible to the point like get myself to the point where i can actually really write the story over the next couple of months and and then get something that my publisher can actually look at even if it's all just like a big packet of thumbnails um you know i'm hoping by the end of 2017 to have the whole thing kind of written out I may or may not. What, the way that I worked on Unterzocken was kind of insane and haphazard, because I don't like to write a, uh, I don't write a prose script or whatever. I don't write just a just a text script.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, oh, you I do work. layouts might, for the
0: whole book.
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't think of them as hard and fast layouts, but I, I thumbnail the whole thing because otherwise that's the only way that I write dialogue, and that's the way characters take shape. That's the way the story takes shape. There's a lot of note-taking, though, so I'm constantly writing outlines and taking notes and, you know, then other notes supersede them sometimes, and then I also have my stacks and stacks of index cards, so there's one beat in the story per card or one idea, and not all of them end up in the book, and not everything I thumbnail ends up in the book either, but trying to figure out how a scene is going to go, that happens in the thumbnailing stage.
1: That makes sense, yeah, because I, that's sort of, like, for, maybe it's for a lot of cartoonists, I do find it easier to sort of figure out, like, you know, uh, the actual dynamics of the way people, you know, characters will interact. I can't do that as a script. Um, like, yeah. I sort of have to yeah. put that down, like, uh, you know, in comics, um, comics form. So you do have a good relationship with your editor as well?
2: This oh, is- yeah, I love my editor. She's wonderful.
1: Do you do a... She's,
2: she's absolutely brilliant. And, and uh, you know, the thing... Of, sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, do you go to lunch and things like that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> we, have, we have gone to lunch That's on occasion. Nice. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I find her to be just, you know, she's a seasoned book industry professional and, and a book person. And this is the thing that I've, I've learned working with a large book publisher, is that at every uh, stage of the game, everybody there is a book lover, and a, and a literature person. So I, it's, you really feel like you're among family if you are also one of those people. And I mean, that's true of like the, 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 the PR people and the design people and like everybody that I've interacted with there.
0: Well, that's cool. Cause I've heard, you know, I've, I feel like I've heard sort of the other side of that is that, you know, they're just book, big book publishers are sort of just trying to get everything, you know, just trying to, uh, fill the racks, you know, and, and make their quotas and stuff like that. <laughs> Content. Well,
2: I think that's true, too. No, I mean, really, know? yeah. I yeah. mean, I think they know that no comic is going to really sell that many except for the occasional, like, freak anomaly, right? Like, Habibi. That did really well, I'm sure.
1: Right. I think so.
2: I hope. I think it God. did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, if they publish a weirdo like me, they know it's not going to sell, you know, huge, huge numbers. They know that. They must know that. I they also that, published Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, not shocking, but Random House, you know, so. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even matter that that's not even a book, except in the sense that it has words on it, and it's between two covers. <laughs>
1: like, and it is sold to it's, people, it's, and they have bought it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: they have, and they, they quote-unquote read it, but, you know, have you ever actually tried to read that?
1: uh i did on a former show uh we did do a <laughs> uh a dramatic reading of it um <laughs> oh you really? yeah you did do that didn't you
0: uh, no, but no. that
1: was actually when before i even knew what it was like it was just my co-host was like my <laughs> wife is reading this book and you have to hear what it's about
2: <laughs> <laughs> you sent me a link to that uh
1: but uh there's I... also
2: a 50 shades of gray random generator it's... on the internet it's pretty amusing
1: well I mean I'm not gonna yeah, I, I I have a lot of uh friends who do like the book, but I think they might like the movie. Um so
2: Well all I'm saying is that I, I'm Whatever. pretty sure that <laughs> way, that's what brings money. the money in. Yes. <laughs> that's like
1: amazing.
2: that or like a celebrity memoir or, you know, the occasional celebrity novel. Like yeah. they've got that stuff on lockdown. So I think they can occasionally afford to like publish something by a real weirdo you know and and all the cartoonists like i don't i don't think we generate much revenue for them. <laughs> hey maybe i'm wrong and i'm i'm just like the only one whose books don't that say well, everything but. went
1: well this year except leela but we'll give her one more chance <laughs> uh,
2: but you know she has good bangs so we can, we can keep her uh
1: Do you um yeah i mean I was also going to ask, sorry, my kids have all come in the room and, and distracted me, but I was going to ask
2: them. <laughs> hey, kids.
1: <laughs> Go away. Um, Hold <laughs> on, oh, well, one second. Hold on. I got to close the door. Hold on. Guys, come on. out. I'm almost, I'm off the
2: door.
1: I'm, I'm off.
2: the <laughs> <This is> great. <laughs> There's louder crying and thuds. What's going yeah. on?
0: That's good. That's really good. I don't know what's going on, but I'm... Well,
2: how old is hey Mike's youngest?
1: Hey, guys. <laughs> going how smoothly. old is your youngest, Mike? He's four. He's four. Yeah. He's very oh, okay. Willful. Willful child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to ask, um, you have a good relationship with your agent, too, and, I've, and I'd be interested if you to talk for the listeners a little bit um, because I know that you're very... You think it's a good, great thing for a cartoonist to pursue having agents, right?
2: If you're going to work with a big book publisher, it's essential. You cannot do this stuff on your own. If you, I feel strongly that if you um, want to be treated fairly and work with contracts that are favorable to you, an agent is an essential part of your career because look, can you read contract language? Do you want to do that? No. (laughs) Right?
1: Absolutely not.
2: (laughs) They're trained to do that and they love that stuff and and they're good at it. Yeah. And, you know, the percentage that an agent takes is really small. So, and and the incentive is for them to get you the best deal that they can. Uh, And not just because they're mercenary and they get a percentage of it, but because actually, you know, just judging by my agent, she really cares about the careers of the people she works with. I have met agents who are terrible, and I'm not going to name names.
0: Let's name names.
2: Um, <laughs> no, we're not going to name names. We are not going to name names. Um, and, and it's more than one, anyway. So I know that you're thinking of one in particular, and yes, it is I that am. person. But then, the, yes, you are. But then there's, <laughs> there's another also that I didn't actually work with. She was the agent of someone that wanted to work with me, and she was possibly a rookie and definitely a child in her behavior yeah. <laughs> very you know and, and I'm, I'm guessing that she's either going to get filtered out of the business for sucking at it or she's going to rise to the top
3: <laughs> people left and right one way <laughs> or the other for sure yeah.
2: right i mean you know some people you're like why do you have a job why do you do you do anything for anyone but yeah. my experience with my agent has been great and and i really feel like you know she's on my side well so how like protecting do, me with a flaming sword
1: like is it the kind of thing like where would she contact you like periodically to like before you pitch this and sold this current book that you're working on like was she sort of just touching base um or is it more like when you sort of have a thing you think is appropriate to take to her that you uh
2: not the latter although we're friendly so we'll touch base with each other and you know send a holiday card or birthday greeting occasionally but but you know she's if yeah if i have an idea i send it to her and and we toss around whether it's going to be a good one or not and you know she's very honest with me if she doesn't think that it's clear or saleable she'll tell me
1: has that happened has she sort of um kind of changed her, changed her mind on on pitches
2: not changing her mind but just telling me you know this potent this has potential but i don't really get it can you can you clarify what you mean? And then you know, like that, we've had a couple of things that didn't really quite get off the ground. And now I'm relieved because I don't want to work on anything except what I'm working on now.
1: Well, that's the best feeling, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is.
1: <laughs> You're glad about those those bullets <laughs> you dodged <laughs> out there.
2: <laughs> I am. I actually, I really am. Yeah, the and I was pretty invested in it. Was actually, cool. <laughs> the, the 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 bullet I almost bought anyway and set up. And then didn't.
3: Yeah. It would
2: have probably been a fine book. You know, it just, um, my interests have gone elsewhere and, and I'm glad that I'm not stuck with it. So these things actually do have an uncanny way of working out sometimes.
1: So do, do you get to like work quite, quite a lot? Like, uh, cause you have a, so you have a daughter. Um, you also you do teach at Saw, is that right? Um, a bit of time. Well,
2: this is the first year since we've been open that I haven't really had any involvement with them beyond going in and teaching the occasional figure drawing class. Um, I teach at but, US one semester a year.
0: But you, I mean, and, you 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 found you co-founded Saw with Tom, right? And so the like the first several years were probably a lot of work, I imagine.
2: Actually, it's really Tom's baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's I, I would not take any credit for that at all. <laughs> I, I've done absolutely nothing for Saw. Oh, okay. Occasionally, well... you know, I mean, I've taught illustration there. Now, I mean, I'm exaggerating. I've yeah. taught illustration there, and I've taught figure drawing there, and I will go in and talk to students, and I'm, I'm very much a part of it, and I love it. But Tom is the person who does all of the work. Have you interviewed right. him yet? I can't remember. Um, if you ever do... I'm sure he can shed more light on that. But, uh, but this no, year yeah. I haven't been involved at all. Uh, because last year I was teaching at SAW, last spring I was teaching at SAW and at UF and teaching two ballet dance classes and doing a lot of commissioned comics. And I just started to burn out like dad. Yeah. So I couldn't repeat that experience. I, I actually was very strategic about how I pitched this book and... Planned my work on it, although I was a little ambitious about how long it was going to take me to research uh-huh. <laughs> and how much time and energy I would have to devote to reading very dry books about um, uh, shipyards and such. Uh-huh. But <laughs> we're getting there.
0: I do feel um, like every aspect of working <laughs> on a book takes about five times longer than it you think it will. So sounds it like totally,
2: you're right. On, right I on agree point. with you. <laughs> Thank you. I feel much better hearing you say that. Actually, <laughs>
0: no, I'm, I'm one hundred. I mean, from from writing to laying out to coloring, uh, probably the only thing that I think goes too quickly is inking. You know, it's like that's the thing I like, but
2: uh, the fun part. Inking yeah, is the definitely fun the fun part, and painting. Yeah, it's true. That I you- like to put on very, very, very loud music while I'm painting, and get kind of lost in it.
1: I am. I yeah. I that sounds actually really awesome. I was thinking like you know, <laughs> but I do think your guys are right that like you it, know you never see like a character in like a movie like who's a who's a writer who's saying like I'm on top of my deadline. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> everything that to such be a be boring in, movie. Can you <laughs> imagine <is> coming <laughs> in exactly as I said it would two years ago when I project planned this book out <laughs> and it's uh
0: well the reason why that's not a cliche is because it's. Does not a cliche. It's not a cliche.
2: <laughs> well, a you know, actually, there's there's a bunch of really great quotes from different people on deadlines, and I, I, I find them all pretty interesting. There's the famous Douglas Adams quote. You know, oh, what one, is? Right? What
0: does he say? What, I, I feel I love like I've deadlines.
2: I love. I love the whooshing sound they make as they rush past me. <laughs> oh
3: yeah. <laughs>
2: but actually, my favorite one is from Emile Zola. And it's something like, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but he said something like, one forges one's style on the terrible anvil of daily deadlines.
1: Hmm. It's kind of, yeah. And is, I
2: think that's more accurate.
1: Yeah, there's truth in that, you know, that yeah. having them is actually beneficial.
2: Um, Eno talks about that too. Brian Eno has a really good comment about the the creative um, aspects of having deadlines and the way that they can, uh, having parameters to work within can make your work much stronger. And of course, he's Brian Nino, so he says it in a really eloquent way that I'm not approaching. That's his right quote. Now. He says, having parameters is good. <laughs> <quote>. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's good, Brian Nino. It's good <laughs> Well,
2: to those have. are my words, <laughs> not his. You know, I, I, I chose to be an illustrator because I like working within parameters. And the kind of dancing that I do is working within parameters. Like, everything's about that, you know. But working on a book is just such a different animal, a long book, than, than working on as we said earlier, working on a short piece.
1: Yeah. Are you um so you're you're suggesting that you're pulled back a lot in terms of other other things outside of writing the book. Um, so are you also a fair amount. Are you going to probably not pursue too many like uh like comics for tablet anymore or the nib or is it just not like
2: No, not right now. No, I really I, I, I at a certain point I kinda of hit a wall and realized I have to stop pitching uh, short comics, because I have to focus all my energy on this book, yeah. even if it's going slowly, and that's the other thing that I've realized recently is the value of slowing down, not just in that area, but in every area. Like slow down. I don't have to like freak out and do a workout in twenty minutes if I'm at the gym. you know like slow down and enjoy the weightlifting, but also with work. like be okay with only thumbnailing at best, three or four pages. And be okay with maybe a day where you just read and take notes, you know?
0: Not being so hard on yourself kind of thing.
2: Yeah, and not only not being so hard on yourself, but, but understanding that each project requires its own pace. Right. And, and figure out what that is and get into it. In the same way that if you were a musician writing a song, you're not going to write all your songs in the same tempo, right?
1: Oh, so sort of like allow each, each like project to kind of have its own sort of like speed, um, you know, or approach, you know, that does make sense.
2: And, and I think that, you know, we all have probably get invested in whatever, whatever the approach we took before that worked, but it doesn't always work the next time.
1: I, you, you guys probably read this. Do you ever read that thing Chuck Forsman wrote about like, um, kind of a career type thing? Um, I can't remember what the, sorry, Chuck. (laughs) I can't remember most of the essay. (laughs) But uh, there's a part you wrote right at the beginning that, like, every new project he starts is, like, starting over. Um,
2: totally. And uh, I think he's not the only person who's expressed that sentiment.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel – I feel the same way, for sure. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so I, I – and me, too. And I – that's why I was like, that is true. Because you feel like you should know how to do this. Like, this is how right. it gets done. Like, you know, I, this is how you write a book, this, this, and this. You know, and yeah. it's done. I've done this five times already, and, and it's not any easier but it doesn't. Yeah. Like it is like relearning each time, sort of like um, because I guess each thing is a bit different, um, and I guess what you are in your life is, is different too. Um,
2: definitely, definitely. Um, well,
1: well, I'm. I like. Yeah, I'm really glad you came on. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it, um, and I uh, look forward to reading the new work. I'm a little sad that it's not going to be the Thank new you. stuff online, um, you know, because I really have enjoyed um, sort of watching your work.
2: You will. You there, will. There'll be little excerpts of of the new book, actually. Uh, in fact, there, there will be one coming up on tablet in the spring.
1: Okay, good.
2: So I will occasionally be releasing kind of preview-y stuff.
0: Well, yeah. So and, stand uh, by. And, and so <laughs> your, your, most, your most recent book is, as we've been talking about, uh, uh, We All Wish for Deadly Force, and you can find out more about it at uh, retrofitcomics.com. And your website is leelacorman.com. And what any other places where people can reach? Are you on Instagram or any of that garbage?
2: I am. I'm on Instagram and I love it. <laughs> but yes, I'm on Instagram as uh, Leela Corman. You can find me there.
0: <laughs> it's not yeah, I, lo- I love Instagram too. I was, I was just being dismissive. Of
2: yeah, my well, I understand.
0: Obsessions. Anyway.
2: It's, no, will. don't be. Embrace your <laughs> obsessions. Embrace your obsessions. Yes. I'm serious, actually. I, you know, we're laughing, but that's actually one of the best things you can do for yourself.
0: How do you feel that that like has? I mean, like ab- embracing your obsessions, like has that fed into your work too?
2: It is my work.
0: It is your is. I'm work. obsessed
2: with history, and I'm obsessed with movement, and I'm obsessed with sound, and I'm obsessed with human experience, and that absolutely is my work. And my obsessions think- with. With the war, you know, like I thought I was finished being obsessed with the Holocaust and I'm completely not. Those things absolutely are my work and always have been and always will be.
0: All right, that was Leela Corman. And thank you, Leela, for joining us on the party floor. And tune in next week when we probably will not talk about our Teenage Comics influences for an hour and we will have another interview with a great cartoonist coming up and you can check us out at Process Party Pod on Twitter and Mike and I are both on Twitter as individuals and Instagram as individuals and you can go to our Facebook page which is like Process Party Podcast and check it out because we'll have all the different uh, show notes and you can definitely always go to studygroupcomics.com dot com, and there's pretty extensive show notes for every episode and a lot of comics uh, and a lot of, well yeah, let's not forget a lot of comics. I guess we could say, uh, go to studygroupcomics.com. dot com, Check out
1: all the stuff that's there. Yeah.
0: Hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of pages of free comics, maybe thousands. I don't, I don't know. Um, Yeah, that's sort of actually the point of the website. Okay, anyway, (laughs) thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.